It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I'm an avid reader. I love listening to audiobooks and reading nonfiction. I love learning about the world, other people, and myself. And recently, I saw some information about how that might be part of being neurodivergent, which has been a big part of my journey. But because I've been so focused on studying neurodivergence, specifically ADHD and autism, to see if I truly fall on those spectrums after doing some self-diagnosis and talking to other people, it's really hard to tell sometimes what's going on with us because we're very biased, right? But it's also very hard to get information about ourselves from others because they have their own bias. And also something I've learned recently is that a lot of the ways that people are diagnosed are based on either outdated tests and studies, scientific research. But a lot of that information was gathered in very limited ways. For instance, I learned recently that a lot of the studies done in psychology were based on men. And I think maybe even specifically white men or privileged men or specific types of men. And so it's discounted the female gender, biologically speaking, as well as all different types of people. So a lot of the information that we have about ourselves may not be very accurate, if this makes sense. And I'm deeply intrigued by that. I love studying psychology when I was in high school, and I minored in psychology when I was in college. And I often wish that I had pursued a career in, in psychology, but my creativity won out. I majored in film production and worked in film for many years before becoming a content creator online. And psychology has played such a big role in my personal interests, but is more so coming up in my professional career as well. I'm actually getting very close to taking an emotional well-being coaching program because there's a huge part of me that wants to put a lot more focus on helping other people with their well-being. And that's very tied into psychology. Anyways, I bring that up because I've been studying this for so long. And it's kind of shocking to see that the information I've collected about the world and other people plus information I've collected about myself may not be the full picture. And it's actually kind of sad. I think it's also resonating with me on a level where after exploring neurodiversity and starting to identify as somebody who's neurodivergent, I feel like I wish I had this information earlier on. Just like when I first learned about being introverted, I wish that I could have had that framework earlier on in my life because I have felt so isolated and alone 
And I also think that I've been masking so much in my life without even realizing that I was doing it. I started reading a book recently, just a few days ago, that has really opened my eyes. It's called Divergent Mind, Thriving in a World That Wasn't Designed for You. I will link to this in the show notes if you want to check it out. It is one of the best books I've read on the subject matter. One reason being it was written fairly recently, I think in 2020, so about two years ago. Two is that it's coming from the perspective of a woman, but really supporting other women that may be neurodivergent. Statistically also, I think it's in this book and some other pieces I've read recently, I believe that about one in five people are neurodivergent. So it's a little bit more common than I realize. And who even knows if those numbers are accurate, right? Like what percentage of the population have even been examined or tested or diagnosed? I don't know. So you kind of have to take those statistics with a grain of salt. But this book has really opened my eyes and I wanted to share some sections of it because A, you might resonate with this and B, I think it can really help us in our relationships with other people. Part of my journey examining all of this within my own life started last year. I had been visiting some family members and I was talking to my mother about this and saying, I think one of my younger family members might be autistic. And she asked me why I thought that. And I said, well, there was a lot of like physical manifestations of it, like what I perceive to be autistic in the body movements and language, in the way that they talked and interacted socially. And I had a pretty limited viewpoint on what autism was at that time. I've learned a lot more and like six months since this conversation with my mom. But the biggest eye-opener of that conversation was as I was describing these characteristics about a family member of mine, my mother said, well, you exhibited a lot of that when you were younger too. And at the moment, I was like, what is she talking about? Was my mom kind of like, was she being serious, I guess, was the question there. I was just so taken aback by that and in disbelief. Like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't exhibit autistic qualities. No one to my recollection has ever said that to me before, except for my sister. My sister has kind of teased me about being autistic, which I don't think is a great thing to do. But if you have a sibling, depending on your relationship, you may understand. It's not meant to be mean or rude. It was like our dynamic as sisters. But it's also coming from a place of ignorance from both of us because I don't know if my sister was like trying to antagonize me or I just interpreted it and got defensive. And I'm like, I'm not autistic, but I was looking at autism from such a limited point of view and definition that it just didn't even seem possible. And as I've talked about, I think a few weeks ago in an episode, whenever that came out, where I did a a diagnosis after having some guests on the show, specifically one that talked about her adult diagnosis as being both having a being a person with both ADHD and autism or ASD. It was just such an eye opener. And suddenly my horizons were broadened and I've been studying it and looking for more information to better understand. And the more I dig into it, like books like the Divergent Mind book I just started reading, the more I think, oh my gosh. What if I have been a person with autism my whole life 
but no one knew because I masked it so well. Or maybe I learned as a little kid, as a child, to mask so much that no one picked up on it. And that's actually quite common because women in general tend to exhibit different traits and symptoms, I guess, if that's the, quite the right word, characteristics of something like autism differently than men. But because men have been primarily studied and the diagnosis has been based on those studies around men, it's really hard to see it in women because it's just not as talked about. And if I do, in fact, have an autistic mind or fall on the spectrum, and again, I'm trying to be mindful of my language because this is a sensitive subject, not just for me, but for others, and I'm still learning how to navigate this, but it's just kind of shocking and simultaneously almost revealing and relieving. Just like I said, when I found that word for introversion, I felt like, oh, that makes sense. But now I'm not even sure if introversion really describes me. What if what I thought was being introverted is actually related to being neurodivergent? And I don't feel the need to label myself. In the episode with the Anxiety Sisters, I love one thing that they said, which was that there are pros and cons to putting ourselves in categories and labels. And I think a few guests have said this recently. I think sometimes we, and I can really speak for myself here, want to diagnose ourselves, want to have a way of describing ourselves because it helps us operate in the world. I'm nervous about telling people, aside from you, it feels a little different on the podcast because the podcast feels so intimate, but I'm more nervous, funny enough, like bringing this up to my friends and family members because I don't want it to come across like I'm just calling myself autistic as like, first of all, it might be as shocking to them as it is to me if suddenly I'm like, oh, by the way, I think I'm autistic or I've been diagnosed autistic. Like, I almost feel like people that I know won't believe me. And that's kind of scary or will think that I'm, I don't know what the word or term of it would be, but feel like I'm trying to like jump on a trend. I don't see it as trendy, but I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it's scary to share something about yourself. And maybe this is the only way that I can understand something like what it would feel like to come out of the closet. Like what if people, especially for adults that have been viewed as heterosexual their whole life, and what if they reveal that they're homosexual and that changes somebody's entire viewpoint of them and that's scary, or they don't, they feel like they're not going to be believed or they feel like they're going to be treated differently. I feel that way too with this. And again, I want to be really careful with my language because I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm saying that I wonder if it's a similar experience. And I try to be really mindful of my words because this is actually a quality of being neurodivergent, of saying, especially autism, I've learned is that is like not always being able to like sometimes saying things that are inappropriate or saying things that come out the wrong way. Like an autistic filter can be very different from or a neurodivergent filter could be very different from a neurotypical filter, the socially acceptable ways of saying things. And I'm terrified of saying the wrong thing. And actually, last week, I think I got a message from somebody who was a bit hurt or upset by something that I said in a previous episode. And I felt awful because I 
kind of wish I hadn't said it, but at the time I said it because it felt right for me to say it then. I don't know if this makes sense, but I often feel like walking on eggshells. And this is a big part of my life has been the fear of not fitting in, the fear of being misunderstood. Those are deep, deep things for me. I have like, I don't know if it's a wound of feeling misunderstood my whole life, but apparently that is a quality of being neurodivergent because your brain works differently. And a lot of times we don't even realize our brain works differently than other people because we automatically assume that everyone thinks the way that we do. Even if we can observe differences in other people, it's really hard because we're only in our heads. I'm not sure if any of this makes sense, but this is what I kind of grapple with. So I have this fear of talking about this to people I know. I have a desire to get a formal diagnosis, if that even exists. The more I look into this, I'm like, I don't even know if I could trust a diagnosis based on how diagnoses are created. So part of me is like, can I diagnose myself? Do I have enough information? That's a challenging thing too. I've also felt this way when I've talked about my history with my body. I switched my language from talking about having an eating disorder and started framing it as disordered eating because part of me doesn't even know if I actually had an eating disorder. I don't know if if the behaviors and the mentality that I had about my body are common and and maybe technically not a disorder, right? It's been a something that I really tread lightly on because I don't I take eating disorders very seriously and I don't want to put myself in a category where I don't belong, right? But I definitely exhibited behavior and traits and thought processes of somebody who has an eating disorder, I guess, is it that I'm in denial or something that I either still have it or had it? I don't know. I mean, this is the trick of it all. And going back to even the desire to label ourselves, like if I think about my disordered eating, for example, there are times where I like feel like I fit in with other people because they too have experience that like there's a bonding it's like oh i'm not the only one not the only one that ate the way i did and thought the way i did and went about the world in that way and we can relate to each other i mean actually talking about it on youtube really brought more people into my life about 10 years ago it was i think in 2012 i made a video about opening up about all this and i don't know even know why i made that video but I remember how many people were coming forward and saying, I can relate to you. And they felt closer to me because I discussed that. So I think there's power in sharing these things about ourselves, even if we feel like we're fumbling through them like I do. And that was one of the big reasons that I've been trying to talk about this more openly. So I want to go back to some of the things I learned in Divergent Mind and especially the masking part of this. So the author, Janara Nirenberg, is I believe how you pronounce her name, says, masking refers to an unconscious or conscious effort to hide and cover one's own self from the world as an attempt to accommodate others and coexist. 
the phrase accommodate others hits me in a really deep way because I feel like I've gone through most, if not all of my life, trying to accommodate others. And I find myself recently kind of rebelling against that, like feeling so frustrated with that operation. I've referred to myself as a people pleaser, as a perfectionist, but now even those words, I'm not sure, are right for me. Because what if it, maybe they're part of it, I'm not sure, that's still part of my discovery process here, but what if I've just been masking and operating in a way to accommodate, not just to please, but feeling like I had to show up in a certain way because how I would normally show up, naturally show up perhaps, wouldn't be right, wouldn't work for others. And I think I was trained into that or just taught that. Maybe I learned that the hard way. I wish so badly I could go back and see or remember what it was like to be a little kid who felt misunderstood and didn't fit in. I spend a lot of time trying to think back into my earlier memories. I'm fortunate to have a lot of video footage of myself as a little girl, and I've been meaning to go back and rewatch some of it through this lens. There's one video clip that comes to mind of sitting on the couch with my grandparents and my grandma was, I don't know, reading a book or like kind of quizzing me. And she was really sweet and really gentle. But for some reason, that moment, not quite a memory, but a moment I've seen on camera a number of times sticks out because she was like trying to get me to either say words right or do something in a certain way. And I would, I kept saying it in a certain way and she would go, no, it's this way. And I was kind of laughing it off. And I guess like that seems like a common experience for children. And then I started to wonder how many kids experience that over and over again when we're told, no, no, this is the right way. You're doing it wrong. I feel like so much of our educational system, so much of parenting and raising children is based around correction. And in a way, I feel uncomfortable about that because it's pushing us into a certain way of operating and getting us to believe that if we don't operate that way, then we're wrong, then we're bad. And depending on the child, on the human being, they may deeply internalize that. And I think I did. And that ties into actually being a highly sensitive person, which is another quality or another type of neurodivergence that's covered in this book that I don't fully identify with, but certainly having heightened sensitivity has been a major challenge in my life. And I've been kind of ashamed about that. I So many times in my life, people have told me I'm too sensitive. So I felt like I have to hide my sensitivity. I felt ashamed of my sensitivity. It's been a really rough thing. I've seen sensitivity as bad. And that also ties into some of these gender or biological gender related things where if so much of the way that we operate in the world has been shaped by men and seeing masculinity as not sensitive, seeing masculinity as rooted in strength and strength being the opposite of sensitivity in a lot of people's minds, of course, it's going to feel 
wrong or bad or weak to be sensitive. And I don't believe that to be true, but it seems like so many other people have. So I've tried really hard to mask myself as not a sensitive person. And the amount of energy it takes to go about life pretending to be something that who you really are is rough. And no wonder I have felt so much burnout and anxiety. And this is brought up in the book too. Janara also says, you unknowingly begin to edit and adapt to mask for survival. This begins a repeating cycle of censoring, attempting to fit in, and overall altering your performance of your, quote, self in the world, leading to depression, anxiety, burnout, or worse. It's having a sense of always needing to act out the, quote, right steps. And that is so me. I think that I've looked at life through this lens of right and wrong, good or bad. And the amount of stress I feel around that is almost debilitating. In fact, I found myself feeling like I can't even operate, quote, properly, which is also interesting. And I think that a lot of this information is starting to come out of the woodwork And it's really fascinating, right? Because burnout is discussed so frequently, anxiety, depression, mental health is shifting so much in our awareness. And I'm excited about that, but I wonder why now? Why is it that people are suddenly talking about these things so openly and frequently? What is shifting in the world that's causing us to feel like we've had enough of it? And this whole idea of fitting in is also really interesting too. And something I think that drives me to read so much nonfiction is like I'm trying to understand the world and myself and really find out who I am and why I am that way. Because I think when you go about life masking so much, you lose sense of who you are. You don't really know who you are. And I've really felt that over the past two years. I feel like all of it is just coming up to the surface and sometimes it feels so scary and frustrating and overwhelming and sometimes it feels incredibly empowering. And I also believe it to be a bit of a universal experience. It's hard for me to think of people who aren't expressing something like that. So it's, to me, not specifically related to being neurodivergent. I think it's just very common or a main trait of being neurodivergent is this masking. And something else that was brought up in the book is that instead of accepting myself as curious, passionate, and inquisitive, I felt different and isolated. And I feel I have some mixed feelings around that because I've embraced my curiosity, but I've also had it pointed out to me in so many negative ways that I feel a little uncomfortable about being such a curious person. That's like a word that a lot of people use to describe me. And most of the time someone points out that I'm hyper curious, it's, it makes me feel really different and isolated and self-conscious because it's rare that I meet someone else who's as curious as me. And so if you don't interact with a lot of people that are like you, you start to feel different and you wonder, is it okay to be different? Is that a strength? I mean, I feel like 
my curiosity is a strength a lot of the times, but when other people notice it, I feel like that's where I mask. Like I try to like mask it in a way where maybe people only subtly notice it about me. The same thing goes with my ability to hyper-focus. I'm hyper-organized at times and in certain ways. It happened the other day on a phone call. I had somebody pointed out how much I was working on and they use the phrase busy, which I really don't like that word. (laughs) A lot of people point that out about me. They're like, how are you able to do all of this? That's like a very common thing. But it's ironic because there's so much I feel like I'm not doing. And this is, I believe, more related to ADHD. It's like I can hyper focus and I can like, I buzz around and I can like sit down and do a lot of stuff, but I simultaneously feel like I can't sit still and I can't focus. And I beat myself up a lot for not focusing. So it's interesting. It's like, I'm always afraid people are going to see me as lazy. People are going to see me as unproductive. Clients are going to get mad at me for not getting things done. I feel like I'm always like rushing and up against deadlines. But I thrive at the same time with that pressure. And I get into this mode where suddenly I'm hyper-focused. I'm getting everything done. Right now, I'm doing that with taxes. I kept telling myself, Whitney, this year, you're going to get your taxes done early or on time. I have an accountant and just for taxes. And every year, I'm like, I'm going to get my things into my accountant on time so we don't have to get an extension because I kind of feel ashamed every time I have to get an extension. I've had a tax extension like every year, probably for 10 years straight. I don't know if there's been one instance of getting my taxes done on time. But it's fine. If you didn't know this, you can get an extension and you're supposed to like pay the money on April 15th or whatever the date is. And you can extend it to actually file your taxes on October 15th. So I felt shame. I don't like being late or behind that I associate with negativity. But no matter how much I try to get myself to finish my taxes, quote, early so I could be on time, I haven't been able to do it. And I recognize because I will get my taxes done on April 14th. My accountant hasn't given me a deadline for when she needs me to finish things by. And when I don't have a deadline, I will procrastinate over and over and over again. And I felt so much shame for that. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm an adult. I'm supposed to be professional. And I can't do this until the last minute, the 11th hour. But when it is the 11th hour, I will hyper-focus. I will do an amazing job. I will just like get it all done. If somebody says this is the expectation, I will meet it and surpass it most of the time. Otherwise, if I don't have those boundaries and that structure, I will completely fall apart and be unfocused. But what most people observe about me is accomplishing a lot. And I have pride around that, but also like this imposter syndrome. I'm like, if only you knew how much I procrastinate, if only you knew how much I lie in bed under my weighted blanket trying to recover from feeling overstimulated, which is also classic traits of neurodivergence. It's like, if only you knew how isolated and alone and all of these things. And this is part of the reason that I want to talk about it so publicly here and hopefully more in my life is how many other people are masking, how many other people are feeling 
that shame and guilt and feeling like they don't fit in and feeling misunderstood themselves because they don't want anyone to know the realities in which they operate throughout their life. It's kind of like we don't want people to see the insides of our homes because if only people knew how messy we were, right? <laughs> As if they're, that's such a bad thing. Back to some quotes from the book. This is interesting and really important too. The writer says that an extensive amount of depression and anxiety surface as the result of internal experiences that don't match up with what the world expects or how the world views women, especially if they appear to function, quote, normally on the outside. Autistic women, many of whom have been sensitive their entire lives but not known that they were on the autism spectrum, the questioning and of utilizing and managing sensitivity is tricky because many have been told or taught that something is wrong with them. As a result, many have experienced shame, depression, and severe anxieties. When I read that, I was like, does that explain all those feelings? I mean, I know for sure my mother gave me the messages of if I didn't do something a certain way, I was not doing it right. And I can't really fault my mom for that because that's the viewpoint she had about what it meant to be a strong woman. I'm sure my mother wanted me and my sister to be successful and to not let our gender define us. I mean, my mom always came across as an accomplished, successful, savvy woman. I mean, she had great jobs and made good, was always been really good at money and like, she just felt strong and she exhibited all these like traits that I associated with masculinity. So it was amazing to have a mother like that. But I think sometimes women, and I imagine many mothers feel this pressure to raise their daughters in a society that doesn't fully value women. So maybe she believed that my sensitivity was something I had to get over. And my way of thinking and speaking and working, accomplishing, like all of these things that I did, quote, differently, were scary to her. So I think that teachers, so many people in life, like if they see someone doing something differently, maybe they encourage them to fit in because it's a truly a matter of survival. So I don't like blame the messaging I've received in my life, but it's sad because I've internalized it. So it's like, I get it. I want to take personal responsibility, but that's part of the issue too, is like, it's always about changing, changing, changing. Another quality I've read a lot about is how people who are neurodivergent tend to be chameleons. It's like, you become so good at changing. That's me. Like, I can adjust to like any environment that I'm in, I feel like sometimes I have to. Thinking about that this weekend, I was invited to some in-person parties and feel pretty comfortable going to some things right now. And I was thinking about, oh my gosh, like I'm so out of practice with socializing in person. And I was starting to think ahead of how I might feel at some of these events, which is also another quality, by the way, that People who are neurodivergent tend to prepare mentally for outings, excursions, meetings, and appointments days before a scheduled event. That is 100% me. Like, And people often see that as a positive, right? Whitney, you're so prepared. I hear that all the time. But it gives me a lot of anxiety. That's I prepare to try to, A, 
relieve anxiety because I get so stressed out about socializing. And I also want to do whatever I can to fit in. It's like, am I just preparing myself to mask? And that's part of this whole exploration is who am I? (laughs) And the discomfort I feel trying to figure out who I am because like I've been trying so hard to fit in my whole life. If who I am doesn't fit in, am I okay with that? So these events coming up, I live in Los Angeles and a lot of people I know are in the entertainment world, either online or in Hollywood. And so going to parties can feel really exciting because that world is very appealing to me, but also super scary because I feel like Hollywood is so much about fitting in. I use Hollywood as both, well, the entertainment world, let's call it that, is so much, there's so much pressure because many of us have been conditioned to believe that if we have to shape ourselves in a way to become successful. So there's that layer too for me where because I was so passionate about making videos and films growing up, I deeply studied Hollywood. And I was like, there's always rules and structure. Like you have to do things this way in order to succeed. And I wanted to succeed so badly. So I was like, well, let me put on another mask. Let me become another layer of a chameleon. And a huge part of that as a woman working in Hollywood is about your appearance. And this is a whole nother tangent I could go into, but It sucks. Like for someone like me who I can turn myself into chameleon, I can do my hair and makeup, wear my clothes and I can lose weight and I can do all this. I mean, I've conditioned myself to truly shape shift as I experience a lot of women being like that. I mean, this word catfish, it's a version of a catfish who is more like a chameleon in that so many people in general, but especially women or people who identify as women or even non-binary, like taught themselves to shape their appearance through makeup and hair and clothes and et cetera. And it's like this whole nother person I can turn myself into because I feel like that is the person that's acceptable. What sucks about it is that oftentimes when I turn into that woman, I not only feel non-authentic, inauthentic, but I feel like I'm being judged for my appearance and people treat me differently when they're judging me based on my appearance. And the downside is that so much of my Hollywood career was being taken advantage of, men trying to, I don't even know what words to use here, but I've, again, there's a whole other subject matter. But as a woman in a male-dominated industry, I never knew if a man was giving me his attention because he took me seriously as a filmmaker or because he was interested in me romantically or sexually. And so I think I started to resent shape-shifting into what I deemed as an attractive woman because I associated that with not being taken seriously or not feeling like myself. But unfortunately, the times where I've become where I haven't focused on my attention, I feel overlooked. Every single time I show up on camera these days, I wonder if somebody is judging me on my appearance for good or for bad. And like, that sucks, right? But many of us have trained ourselves to shape shift in order to get what we want, but 
are we getting something that we want based on a lie? This is where the whole masking, whether it's neurodivergent or not, like it's really tough and frustrating. And this is like coming back to, will I be accepted for who I really am? It's really scary to let go of trying to control people's perception of me, I guess. This is the other thing too, I guess a lot of neurodivergent people are seen as being controlling. That's another thing that I've been shamed for, especially men I've dated get really frustrated with me because they perceive me as being controlling. But what I've read about neurodivergence is like trying to be in control is about surviving. It's like, if I can't control this scenario, I feel insecure. If I can't control the situation that I'm in, I feel like things are going to work out. And there's so much tension I feel and stress and pressure to like make things go a certain way, basically. And that's made it incredibly hard for me to trust other people and really hard for me in relationships. And this is the thing too. If I am in fact neurodivergent, I really wish I had known that earlier on because I can see all of the issues I've had in romantic relationships and friendships too. One thing I've been struggling a lot with the last few weeks is a particular friend of mine has really wanted to speak with me on the phone. And I'm going through a phase of avoiding phone calls. I really struggle with them. And I can't remember if I took notes on this in this book or not. But one thing that comes up is how overwhelming communication can be. And there is a section in the book about sensory input being overwhelming. The author said, I think it was the author. There's there's also people interviewed in this book, so hopefully I'm attributing it right. But I seem to be aware of subtleties in my environment. Other people's moods affect me. I find myself needing to withdraw during busy days into bed or into a darkened room or any place where I can have some privacy and relief from stimulation. I feel that every single day. And it's been really tough in friendships and romantic relationships. When I'm overstimulated, I want to retreat. And sometimes that lasts for days or weeks or sometimes even months in nuanced ways. I have this friend right now who really is calling and texting me a ton. And I've gotten to the point where I feel almost paralyzed because I wish I had the words to explain why I don't want to communicate right now. But I feel like I'm going to be misunderstood no matter what I say. So I just say nothing. But then I'm terrified of being misunderstood for saying nothing. And that in itself, I want to explore deeper because I think that's also part of masking. And as I reflect on how I've masked in my life, I'm like, wow, the amount of times I've probably said something just to say it, isn't that in a way a mask? Because right now I just want to be left alone. I want to retreat. I even had this thought today of like, I wish I could just pause everything and retreat, but that would take so much coordination that it feels overwhelming for me to even coordinate a retreat for myself. (laughs) But I want to be able to retreat in a way that other people respect the boundaries and understand the boundaries and like I can recharge. But I find myself recharging in like little pieces here and there, like wherever I can get it. And right now I'm retreating from a lot of personal communication. 
I'm only doing it in bits and pieces, like with my sister or my mother or whatever, like my dad. But even with them sometimes, like they call me and I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk to them. But then I feel awful about it. And I feel like they're not going to understand why I don't want to talk to them. And that just like puts me in this weird cycle of like, all right, I'm going to try to tell them why I don't want to talk. But then they don't understand why I don't want to talk to them. So then I feel bad and I'm trying to accommodate them more. And then sometimes I talk to people even when I don't want to because of accommodation, but I feel awful. So I'm drained even more than I was before. It's like the cycle just goes and goes and goes. And I wonder how many people experience that. And because we don't have the words to explain to other people what we're going through, we feel like nobody understands us. We end up masking So of course, they're not going to understand because we're wearing a mask. So they're perceiving us in a way that's not even the reality of who we are and how we're feeling. And when I go down this rabbit hole, I'm like, do we even know who anybody is? Like, what if everybody in our life or the great majority of them are masking too? We're all walking around wearing these masks because none of us feel understood. None of us feel like we fit in. I would be willing to bet the great majority of people feel that way. The great majority of people feel imposters, feel bad and shame and guilt, all of these emotions, neurodivergent or not. I think all that's so common. So what the heck do we do about it? I don't know. I'm not trying to find the answer for the rest of the world. I just wish I knew for myself or even like in these moments, like what's really odd is this friend I'm referring to is actually a very self-aware, understanding person. But I feel so much pressure to say the right words to this friend, to explain myself that I can't even say anything because anything I come up with does not sound right. And I'm terrified of expressing myself and being misunderstood. That feels like such a major rejection to me. So friendships are really rough. This is something else when I was going through like the diagnostics for autism autistic people tend to really struggle in social situations. I tend not to rate myself as someone who struggles with that. But like, when I really dive into I'm like, I actually think I've struggled with social relationships more than I'm even aware of. I definitely have social anxiety, or some form of it. But this communication has been so tough with even close friends of mine. And it's baffling to me. And there's times where I'm like, I kind of would rather have not have any friends because I don't enjoy being misunderstood. And I feel misunderstood most of the time. And so I find myself having really superficial relationships with people and or just masking myself so much around like, there's one of my friends, a different one from who I referenced before, who I grew up with. I've known most of my life. And I am so aware of how much I mask in front of this friend. It's nuts. But I mask because the friendship feels so meaningful to me that I don't want to lose this person. And I don't even know if I really could lose this friend. Because we've been friends for so long, this friend feels like family. But I don't think that person knows who I am anymore. Because I never tell this person anything about myself of deep, of any significance, because I feel like Anytime I share something significant about myself, this friend responds in a way that I feel like they don't get me. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to feel that. 
I don't want to feel misunderstood. I don't want to feel insignificant. So I've trained myself to navigate our conversations in a way where I can avoid feeling misunderstood or whatever negative emotions. So what is really that friendship? Obviously, it has some meaning to me. I feel kind of unconditional love from this person, but isn't that strange too? Unconditional means they would love you no matter what. So you would think that that would allow you to say whatever's on your mind. I guess I feel like I could say anything to this person, but God, it's weird to try to talk through this out loud. I don't know. The The more I examine this stuff, I'm like, wow, maybe I struggle with friendships and social situations so much more than I've ever recognized. And this is what I mean. Like until you start to research and examine, we might be going, we meaning perhaps you too. So many of us might be going through life completely unaware of what's really happening below the surface. And that's why I love reading because it opens my mind and I ponder things and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, this just feels like insane. This actually, another quote from that book ties into some of the things that I'm saying, which is like feeling extreme relief when you don't have to go anywhere, talk to anyone, answer calls or leave the house, but at the same time, harboring guilt for hibernating and not doing what everyone else is doing. That I know is a very common feeling these days. I see this addressed all the time on TikTok. I mean, the relief I feel when that happens is so strong. I also feel disappointment, like when people cancel on me. There's this like combo in there. Maybe it's not even disappointment. Maybe it's frustration because I have to gear up so many days in advance before I socialize. So it's frustrating when someone cancels last minute because I'm like, I've done all this work building up to seeing you and now you've canceled on me. It's like that feels like wasted energy or something like that. And along the same lines, neurodivergent people tend to feel overwhelmed and exhausted by all the steps involved with doing things. And that's why conversations and outings and all these things can become so tough. And neurodivergent people tend to feel very paralyzed. I feel that all the time and recognizing that I've started to notice how I think. And I often think in steps. And again, some people think, oh, you're so organized, like you've planned everything out in such a progressive way or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but I think that's kind of a coping mechanism because I need to highlight text in order to consume it properly. I need to reread things a bunch of times. I need to say things out loud. I'm a very verbal processor, if you haven't noticed. All of that stuff helps me and my brain understand things and consume it and get through. And my work needs to be very like clear and broken down. And if I don't have that, I feel like a complete wreck. And yeah, in this moment, I feel really vulnerable. (laughs) I feel like simultaneously going through this book, sharing this out loud. I'm like, I know that I'm not alone. I know I'm not as isolated and different as I feel but I feel the weight of how all of these ways of operating have been shamed and seen as abnormal and bad and wrong. That conditioning makes it tough to share. I feel like awkward and 
I think it just comes down to feeling misunderstood and not to like say this entire experience and discussion I just shared is can be summarized in that, but that's at the root of my vulnerability. And maybe it's just the pain of going through life feeling misunderstood all the time. It hurts. Like you'd think you get used to it. And in a way I have, but it's still really painful because deep down, that's what I most want is to feel understood. I also, as a result, am on a mission to help other people feel understood and like they fit in. And that's why I share. I want to feel close and connected with people on a deeper level. I want to embrace others and open up spaces that are as free of shame as possible. That mission of mine is just growing stronger and stronger. That is the reason why I do this podcast. And that's the reason why I have the Beyond Measure community. If you don't know about that yet, it is a private, but technically public free community that you can join. It's private in the sense that you have to register as a member and it's not searchable and on the internet, like you can't see into the community until you become a member. But it's not exclusive in that you don't have to apply to get in and it's not about like meeting criteria and it's not paid at this time. So if you are resonating with the things that I shared today and you want to be able to find a place where you feel more understood and accepted and less ashamed, that's exactly why I made Beyond Measure. And it brings me great joy when people join. And every Saturday we have group calls and they are one of the very few places where I feel fully embraced. Now, I can't say that I don't mask in there. I'd like to work on less masking. And I think I do a pretty good job. (laughs) It feels very similar to this show. The way I show up here is the way I show up there. But I imagine that I still feel like I have to put on some sort of act or something in there, which is so interesting. But that's me. And deep down, though, I feel so embraced by the members. It has attracted incredible people. Truly, it's one of my greatest joys. So I'm trying to bring it up as often as possible to invite other people like yourself in there to have deep conversations and do it in an exchange, not just you're listening, but I really invite you in there so that I can get to know you and hear about your experiences. And on that note, let's say Beyond Measure doesn't feel right for you or you don't feel comfortable joining a community, that's fine. I do want to remind you, I love hearing from listeners, truly, because it helps make this less about me and more about us. And community is at the core of everything that I'm working on right now. So if you would prefer another method of connecting, please email me or message me. And if you haven't gathered, I really struggle with communication. So if you don't hear back from me, I want to remind you that A, please don't take it personally. B, it's probably just me feeling overwhelmed and overstimulated and struggling to communicate. I've noticed, by the way, like for years, emails and text messages and DMs are very daunting, phone calls even, because I want to say the right thing back because I want to be understood. So 
it feels like a lot of pressure for me to even write the simplest message. And I try so hard not to come across as like superficial. I want every person I talk to to feel valued and understood themselves. And so I get really in my head. And that's why responding to people is so tough. And I wish that I could magically communicate better. And anyway, so if you do message me and it either takes me a while to respond or I never respond, please know that there's a 99% chance that I have read your message because I take it all in. It's just the responding that I can't guarantee. So know that at least I want to hear from you. I'm taking you in. I see you. I hear you. I value you deeply. And Beyond Measure has actually been an easier way for me to communicate because we do it mostly through live video calls. And I feel really comfortable there, oddly enough. So it gives me an opportunity to hear from you and respond in real time that I feel like I don't have otherwise. So with all that said, the links to Beyond Measure and the links to the book Divergent Mind are in the notes for this episode at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a full transcript. There are quotes, links to anything else I might've mentioned. Previous episodes, for example, are there. Thank you so much for listening, for being part of my life. I value you beyond measurement, truly. And I'll be back on Friday with another episode. Let's see who I have coming up. I mean, I think every episode's really juicy, but it is an episode based around trauma and based around talking to and learning from people who have gone through really big, challenging illnesses and grief and hard times. And the guest shares amazing lessons and takeaways. And I really loved that conversation. So that'll be here in just a few days on Friday. And I'll be back with another solo episode next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.